September 13th, I believe it is, is the date that the FDA approved COVID vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. Another vaccine from Novavax is under FDA review. Dr. Michael Osterholm, epidemiologist, is joining us. He's a regents professor at the University of Minnesota of Public Health and director of the Center for Infectious Disease. Doctor, I'm wondering why is the vaccine not being called a booster this time around? Well, thank you, Freddie. It's good to be with you again. Um, let me just start out, first of all, saying that we really are now into a model, much like we see with influenza vaccine, in terms of updating it, meaning that uh, as you, every year we get a different flu vaccine based on what is circulating in the community in terms of the virus, and that's what this is. So it's really not boosting the previous one as much as it is it's a, a newer vaccine based on the same principles as the previous ones, same type of vaccine, just a different uh, part of it inclu- is included now to address the variants that are circulating in the community. So do you mean, is this an annual dosage now, or what would be the, uh, the regimen for this? Well, you know, I, this is yet to be determined. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, this is not yet really what I'd call a seasonal virus. If you Seasonal viruses are like influenza, which you can pretty much count on them to really peaking somewhere between mid to late October is somewhere to late January, early March, that time period. And you can vaccinate for that, meaning that, okay, if I get my vaccine in September, October, you know, I'll have protection going into the winter. Well, with COVID, it, the only thing that makes it seasonal, it appears in all four seasons. <laughs> and so that, um, you know, I don't think we can say yet that one shot once a year in the fall, like with influenza, is going to be the final answer. Now, I recognize, as do all my public health colleagues, the more doses of vaccine you recommend, the less likely you are to get people to comply. They just get tired of getting doses of vaccine. Mm-hmm. I would argue, though, however, that at least consider that because we're still seeing increasing numbers of people dying. We have our hospitalizations are going up and, um, you know, we're still dealing with this. And this particular vaccine, the one that was just approved, actually has really quite good protection against the circulating variants we see right now. Uh, and, and while it may not stop you from getting infected if you get the vaccine, it is surely reducing substantially serious illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. With regard to people of color with the new vaccines that are, that, that's just been released, are, are people of color, because we're not testing, we're not paying for testing anymore, some people are having to pay for the vaccine itself, Are people of color still more vulnerable to loss of life and even getting sicker uh, just as they were back in 2019 at the onset of the 2019 outbreak? Well, uh, really important questions. First of all, let me just clarify. Everyone should be able to get this vaccine free of charge. Okay. Um, If you don't have health insurance that will cover it, there is a program at CDC that covers vaccination for anyone in the public. Uh, with us. So when you go to your provider or to the, uh, you know, the pharmacy, wherever you're going to get it, um, there is an, a way to cover that cost at this time. Um, in terms of vulnerability, it's still the same uh, challenges we've had in the past where age is a very important issue, particularly over age 65, because that also marks a number of other health issues that you have. Uh, for those who are immune compromised or underlying health conditions, uh, that, too, is still a risk factor. And where those are more common in certain race ethnic groups, then, yes, that means that that group is more likely to be uh, impacted. But specifically, there's not a th- uh, uh, an increased risk 
for any one community that doesn't have those same factors. Skin color, as we know for everything, doesn't determine anything about what, in fact, your risk may be. It's really about what are the underlying factors that you have in your own health picture. In your book, Deadliest Enemy, you write that a dangerous microbe anywhere in the world today could be everywhere in the world tomorrow. And then you write that there will be one after this one, another one after that, and on and on. And one of them will be even bigger than and more serious than COVID-19 with the possibility of killing more than 100 million people. Do you still hold to that premise? Absolutely. In fact, I'm writing a new book right now uh, that's addressing the issues we should have learned from this pandemic but appear to not have learned. Uh, because we need to be prepared for the next one. You know, uh, pandemics are, are like other events of the world, you know, earthquakes, hurricanes, etc. They occur, and they will continue to occur. And what we have to understand is that this one wasn't the big one. And you say, how could that be possible? Well, if you compare it to what happened in 1918, that was a big one where many, many more people uh, in the population died, even though it was a much smaller population. In addition, I mean, just take a look at this one. We have coronaviruses, the type of virus that caused this pandemic. SARS and MERS, two that were uh, hit us in 2003 and 2012. Those were not highly infectious, but they killed 15 to 35% of the people that got them. Mm. Along comes COVID caused by SARS-CoV-2. That one was much, much more infectious, but it didn't kill at the same rate. About a half a percent of the population died from, from COVID. Well, if you were to see those two get together, high transmission rates, high mortality, you would have a very different picture today in the next one that might occur. And that's surely possible. So we have to be prepared for that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I stick by that. And I, I think there's a lot of lessons we could have learned. We haven't learned yet from our own pandemic experience and uh, what that means for preparing for the future. I get from what you were just saying, and I think you had just alluded to it, that we did not learn anything from COVID-19. What would be the most important next step for communities and for our federal government? Well, first of all, uh, it's really kind of hand-in-glove issues here. One is you have to understand that for a pandemic like this, do not be surprised if it lasts three or more years. So anything you do for one day or one week or one month Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily dictate what happens. I mean, the the Chinese had these major draconian lockdowns that they went through for the better part of two-plus years of the pandemic. And everybody said, ah, look how you know what they're doing. They're suppressing this. They're keeping people from getting sick and dying. But then as soon as they finally released themselves from these uh, stringent uh, conditions, what happened? So many people got infected. About 1.8 million Chinese died in the two months after they released these restrictive requirements. And so we have to understand it's a sum total game for three years. What are you going to do to get to the end of the third year? The second thing I think we should have learned is the absolute importance of trust. I think there was a real bond of public health has to have with its community to get people to understand why do you want to do this? What what is the reason for your self-interest to do certain things? And, you know, people lost trust in public health. And so I think we have to regain that. We have to start out by just being honest and saying, what do we know and not know? And how did we learn it? And what do we still not know? And this is how we're trying to learn it. And so I think that those two things are really huge. The final one, the third thing I think, though, that uh, is, is key also is vaccines. 
we know vaccines can be absolutely critical in saving lives. These vaccines that we had now, even though they weren't great, they were good vaccines, but they didn't protect permanently on and on and on for years and years. And yet they still saved likely over 3 million lives in this pandemic so far here in the United States. And so I think that's really an important message to get out. I believe people have become immune to your immune message. How do we break through that and vaccine and get the vaccine into the minds of people who are resistant? Well, I think it's really important in terms of messaging and the very fact you and I are having this conversation. You know, you have been a wonderful voice into the black community in terms of getting factual information. You know, you just you call balls and strikes. And I, I so appreciate that about you. That's what we all need to do. People have to trust what they're hearing. You know, it can't be somehow that they think they're being coerced or that this is the big hairy arm of government. You know, this is what I recommend for my family. Why, you know, so I surely want to recommend it to yours, too. And I think that we have to just keep hitting that message home about what do we know and how do we know it. So therefore, what people themselves judge the information and what we don't know and what we're learning and how are we going to go about learning that and how do we share it? And uh, I think that 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 really is just something we have to keep our eye on and just keep doing it. And, um, you know, hopefully over time, people will regain trust in or at least more trust in public health. My last question actually comes from a line in your book. Uh, Doctor, is there more is there more a more important project to save lives and the human race from a medical and economic disaster uh, from which it will take more decades to recover? Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's really important to understand that when this pandemic hit, it not only took lives, but look how it disrupted our world. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our worlds. But even look at the fact of what it did to the economy. I mean, the world went into a global recession of major, major impact because of this pandemic. Uh, look what it's done to other health issues. People didn't come in for screening for cancer. They didn't do a lot of the normal health routines that they would do, and now they're suffering And for that. You know, it's in a sense, it's almost COVID-related cancers because they didn't get caught early enough. And there's, I could go through a laundry list of all the impacts that this particular virus has had. And, and so that there, if you think about from a societal standpoint, there are a few things we could do that would better improve our whole entire lot than to avoid a future pandemic. And we can do that, I believe seriously can do that, if we continue to put major efforts into researching new vaccines that are even better. Let's go from good to great. And I think if we had those early in a pandemic, we could fundamentally change the course of history. My granddaughter just sent me a text, Dr. Ostrom, <laughs> and uh, I think I was going to end on the last question, but I have to ask you this. She says, sure. uh, I'm 17. Can you ask him if this will ever go away before I become 21? Well, first of all, let me just say to your granddaughter, she's lucky to have you as a grandfather. Okay, so that's good. (laughs) Second of all, as a grandfather, you're very fortunate to have a granddaughter that listens to you. It actually sends you an email. I'm really impressed. That's that's pretty darn special, Freddie. It was a text. So anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, well, and and text. Okay, and and I would say, unfortunately, the answer is no. It's not. Mm. It, it it you know, it's not going to be like it was in the first three years with these huge peaks in cases and thousands of deaths each week. But this is now here, and uh, 
you know, I had that very same question asked of me in the early 1980s when HIV finally arrived. And and uh, people said, you know, is this going to be with us forever? And I said, yep, it is. Nobody wanted to hear that. Well, here we are, you know, uh, 40 years later, and we're still dealing with HIV around the world. Dr. Ostrom, I can't thank you enough for being with us and sharing. Thank you, sir. I always enjoy it. I appreciate your effort to get the message out. You you are really an important messenger. Thank, thank you. you. And you're important to us as well. Thanks for being with us. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.